Hello, I'm Paul Crowley. And I'm Carl Beckham. And this is How to Fail at College, a podcast about how to survive college or fail miserably trying. Now, Carl, this marks the end of week four in our semester, with only 11 more to go if you don't count finals week. So my question to you then is this, who is already just done and over with the semester? Students or the teachers? Oh, heavens. Um, I think we're all kind of feeling that fear of the next 11-week crunch, especially some of my students who didn't realize that 15 weeks was actually just 15 weeks. <laughs> but then again, I've got a stack of essays I have to grade this week, so I think we're all feeling it. Okay. Yeah, it always seems like when you start the new semester, there's a lot of motivation. You're excited to get going and get started and do everything, and from our point of view, to, to teach and for them to learn, but at this point, it starts to peter out a little bit. It mellows out, but it's also, for me at least, everything's kind of hit its stride. The students know what to expect. They know what they're getting coming in. They still All the expectations are laid out, so it's kind of going to be a terrible way of putting it. It's almost autopilot for everybody. You're and in that routine. Yeah, we're in the routine. We have our groove, and we're running along. So. Well, uh, a new segment we actually want to start with is to introduce something that we come across in the news, something that relates to higher education or college life in some type of aspect. Uh, so to start us off, we're actually going to go with an article that comes from universityprimetime.com called The Top Colleges with the Most Attractive Students. This is by their, I don't know if they would call themselves correspondents, but their person, Lindsay Gubersoli. Gubersoli. I've never heard that name before, Carl. Have you? I have not, Paul. By the way, how did you find this article? I looked for interesting news. That's what you Google. Well, I mean Twitter. Who's <laughs> Twitter? You can Fair find enough. a lot on Twitter. <laughs> so, in the article, though, supposedly they did have some kind of metric system to be objective. I don't know how well they did considering their criteria. They have listed here where they have five metrics. I said one, the attractiveness of their athletic teams. Attractiveness of cheerleading slash dance teams. Um, third, if they have been recognized nationally in the past for having, quote, an attractive student body, end quote. Not sure they, how they judged that one. Then how many attractive celebrities have graduated from the school? I thought that was interesting. Graduated, not attended, but graduated. And then opinions of students nationwide. Now, as I looked at the list, what I'm pretty sure they did was just BS their way through it, and they just said they did these things. <laughs> but... Just to give you the top five real quick so you can know. Number five, Florida Atlantic University. Never heard of them. Number four, USC. So University of uh, Southern California. Uh, number three, University of Rhode Island. Two, University of Arizona. Number one, San Diego State University. Now, what was interesting to me as I went through this article and looked is that there were four colleges from South Carolina that made the list. So at number 84, we had College of Charleston. Number 40 was Clemson. Go Tigers. Our alma mater, Coastal Carolina, came in at number 35, and then the original USC, this <coughs> Gamecocks, they're at number 32. <coughs> Carl, any thoughts about this? I'm just struck by how you found this article. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> no, I, I'm, but I'm really curious how they got these metrics. Um, how? Oh, I just don't understand quite how you rank attractiveness of athletic teams. Yeah, I'm thinking like most teams or most schools are known for their football teams and they have their helmets on half the time. And, and in a horrible, please don't write angry email, what about the hockey team? Yeah, we, we don't this have completely rules out Canada Yeah, as a whole. I don't know. Haircuts. 
I was just more surprised that Coastal Carolina made the list, and it makes me wonder that if they were doing this, I don't know, 10 years ago when we were there, <laughs> if we would have helped it be maybe a little higher. If we would have skewed the results. Yeah. <laughs> we both had our chili peppers on Rate My Professor. This is so true. We right. could have helped out. <laughs> would we, we definitely wouldn't qualify as celebrities, however. No, not even close. Although, to be fair, Coastal Carolina does have Michael Kelly. That was uh, bald guy. Yep. Uh, that's that's the only one I know of. What? No, I know Brandon Snyder. He was he's a comic book writer. He went there. He's a wonderful human being. But I think that might be it. Yeah. There's well, a gentleman on the billboard across the street, but I have no idea who he is. No, me either. Um, but now that we've won the national championships for baseball, maybe we'll get more recognition. The value of our degrees went up. Maybe more people will come to Coastal and get some celebrities, more celebrities. The value of the degree, that is sadly the most important part for me, I'm afraid. Yeah, same here. Sports recognition is wonderful. Education kind of takes priority for me. <laughs> but uh, now, before we get too far off topic, um, let's introduce what we're discussing this week. So, Paul, what is our topic of conversation? Well, we thought it was important to look at communication outside of class. So most of your interactions with the teacher happens in the actual classroom setting, during the lecture, or whatever it may be. But there are times where you need to reach your teacher outside of that time, either a question about a test or an assignment or just to talk to them that's something you have a concern about. And so we want to talk about a little how to best go about that, what are some good tips, what things hopefully to avoid, make this process a lot better. In short, kind of the best practices of communication. So Yes. Yes. It seems kind of terrifying, and it seems very straightforward at the same time, but it's really a sticky wicket. Um, one sticky of, wicket? I always like that phrasing. Let's go with it. I love it. <laughs> I love it, too. Um, so for me, one of my basic means of communication is email through and through, just because it's simplest, quickest, easiest with the amount of devices in my life, I am typically not far from something that has access to my Outlook. Now, Paul, I know you are kind of in the same boat. Yeah, email is definitely my preferred method of communication, and that works out because I know when I looked back at my experience when I was at Coastal, I wasn't necessarily a type of student who even wanted to talk to the teacher <laughs> at all, so I wasn't going to call him. That definitely was not going to go by for office hours unless I absolutely had to. And that was like I was being forced to for an assignment. Mistake number one, but we'll come to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, but for I typically avoid phone calls because I'm just that skittish. Anytime the phone rings, I, I immediately think, why couldn't you text me? Um, <laughs> well, to be fair, some students do try to text us. Text <laughs> us but even though you tell them it's an office phone, they do it anyway, not understanding that it doesn't really work that way. No one has told me that. Oh, I've got it quite a few times. That is amazing. Uh, no, email is just, it's quick, it's clean, there's the red receipt. For me, it's easier. I know you've got it. It's in my email box. I've got the ticket, so I can search it, go back over anything I say. We always have evidence. So that's my preference for communication is always email. It seems, though, that with email, students... Well, even some teachers, in general, some people just really <laughs> suck at writing emails. And so there's some formatting things or some pleasantries that are, are good to kind of cover. 
So I came across an article from um, U.S. News World Report, the education thing. They have all those, all that stuff, and they had this little blurb about there, like so many tips for students on how to actually communicate in an email to your instructor. Hmm. And I know that we have a colleague, Aglia, who actually had this as part of an assignment. You had to send her an email, or she was giving you like a template to follow, and it was the proper um, ad address at the top as far as to um, start it off. Professor so and so, include in there some kind of a pleasantry to start it off, and then ask what it is that you're looking for. End it with your name and contact information. The I, and Paul, I like that idea. It just seems a little too clinical for me. I, and yeah. I know that sounds odd. I, I lecture so much on some of the the rigorous, the focused, the hard, steadfast rules and regulations of the five paragraph essay. But email, I like a little bit more casual, but I do like getting that information. There's nothing more frustrated than, hey, I'm in your English 101 class. What's the assignment? Well, at least they told you what class it was. Not when you have five 101s. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just know that maybe it's different because I'm, I'm a guy, but I have a different way of uh, communicating. I like to be a little more clear, a little more direct, and kind of skip over those pleasantries. I think I told you before, at my, at my last job, we had this IM system for all the employees. And so what I realized is that in order to be our better relationships with the people around me, I needed to start off saying good morning in a message and wait for them to respond before then I could ask them what I really wanted to ask them. Now, would it have been more efficient and effective from what I was trying to get done if I could just ask them the question or get the piece of information from them that I needed? Of course it would have been. <laughs> and I don't understand why we can't do that. But even though that would be efficient and effective, it wouldn't be good for the relationship with me and that other person. Does Absolutely. that make sense? Well, it just, it's the simple show of worth, the value of just, and it seems trite, but it's acknowledging of our shared humanity to an extent. So it's pretty helpful. Um, continuing on from that, actually doubling down on that lack of information I got, and I've received in emails in the past. I think I told you recently, this little while back, I did receive a voicemail on my phone, which just said, hi, I'm in your class. Can you help me with this assignment? Click. Mm, that's a great message. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's great because there's nothing there. <laughs> there's absolutely nothing I need. No means of getting back in touch with them. Um, no means of tracking them down. No means of sending them an email. It was... This was a younger student? Uh, Paul, I have no idea. Oh, I'm, that's right, because they didn't leave I'm going to have to assume you they were younger. <laughs> Because there's the, the tendency that some people will say, how true it is, you know, you can let us know, but there's a tendency to say that students these days, part of definitely the millennial generation, they aren't as used to talking on the phone as much, so they're not aware of how to have that kind of conversation. Because I know like we, when we were in high school, if you wanted to talk to your friend, you had to call their house. And there was a good chance one of their parents were going to answer the phone. So you had to have a little pleasant conversation with them before you could actually speak to your friend. We don't have that. If you want to talk to someone, you just call them straight on their cell phone. But how often are they actually calling people versus texting or Snapchatting or something else? And on, so, the, on yeah. the flip side, you kind of take advantage of the fact that cell phones, caller ID, you have that information right there. Unfortunately, my voicemail setup is it set up so that, that I don't have that option. No. So. And so I don't think they, sometimes we just don't realize the stuff that we need to do when leaving a message. So you have to say, hey, my name is Paul. <laughs> I'm in this class on this day. I'm calling specifically about this assignment. Will you please give me a call back 
this is my number. You're not going to give your number out on the podcast? Only if they ask very, very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, that lack of information is incredibly frustrating, and it just sets up more communication. For you, your IM that opens up with good morning sets you back, is less effective. You have to have that one extra touch before you get to what you need. It's the same way. If you email a professor or call a professor and you don't give all the information up front, there's going to be a follow-up, and then there's going to be a follow-up, and then finally you'll get the answer two, three emails away. But that's assuming that the teacher's actually going to write you back. Here's a recent experience I had. I was in a department meeting, and some of the other professors, they were mentioning how they'll get a, an email from students. I know you've had one. I've had plenty of them where they say, hey, I wasn't in class today. What did I miss? And so a whole discussion obviously opened up. So that's, that's a can of worms right there for teachers. And a few people were saying they don't respond at all to that kind of inquiry. If you ask them, what did I miss in class today? Their assumption is you should know it's on the syllabus. We gave you a class schedule. I mean, what, what, what's your take on that? How do you respond to those emails? I have a stock template email that I shoot back to the students each time. So copy and paste. Copy and paste. What's it say? That instead of having class, we got in a circle saying kumbaya and I treated everybody to breakfast. Good breakfast? <laughs> Bojangles always. Oh, that's the best right there. No, I actually, I typically will respond to that one pretty quick. It, it's cut and paste. It is just kind of, please check your syllabus, contact your contact your peers for any class notes that are not available on the website. Because this is something I, I struggle with. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that I, I, I feel very strongly about is that students are going to learn best when they have some kind of connection with the teacher. They engage more in the learning process. And so you have to provide opportunities for them to, to engage with you. The flip side of that is that if they send you an email saying, hey, I wasn't in class today, what did I miss? It's very easy to kind of blow them off. Right? But that if you do that, if you don't do it the right kind of way, you're going to lose that connection we have with them. Absolutely. So I don't know where that it's line is at, though. <laughs> Sing kumbaya. Treat everybody to breakfast. It has to be Bojangles, all right? Uh, you could substitute King, anything. <laughs> I could go for a good bagel sometimes. <laughs> Bring a dozen donuts next I time. I do like some bagels. I think, though, we both have had emails where it's just, it's just really random. I think I told you one about a student. The subject line, it was just random because it was like, Help me, Obi-Wan Crowley. You're my only hope. And I'm just thinking, that's, th that's clever, but that's not making me more inclined to help you. That's not necessarily what you should be, how you should be addressing your, your professor. No, I, email etiquette is tricky, and it's business communication is a very common class. Uh, here, pretty much any other university and technical college that I'm familiar with, and that's clean, clear communication, typically emails, letters, that type of thing. And for me, subject lines have become an issue. Uh, I've actually received emails that the entire email took place in the subject line, oh. which, for, oh. depending on what email server you're using, will truncate, will hide, will chop yeah, up. Yeah, you're not going to see everything. Mm -hmm. It's I don't know what's worse, when they put in the entire thing in the subject line, or there is no subject line, and so that when your email program wants to sort everything, it puts all those emails together, even though they're from different people, because they're grouped in by subject line. And so, let's say you're going to get an email from a, from a student. Maybe you're not as extreme with the formalities and everything else, but what kind of basic things do you want them to actually put in there? The quickest, the easiest way, give me that course. And it doesn't even have to be the course prefix, just the, cor the, day, the day and time that we are meeting. As long as I have that, I've got plenty to go by. Um, names. 
it takes a little while to learn everybody's name in classes, and that's a great way to do it is with that email and a quick follow-up the next day in class. Just, hey, thank you for responding to that email. Puts a face to a name, puts a personality to it. And it's just, as long as I've got your class, when we're meeting, and what we're talking about, we're good. Well, let me ask you this. When should a student send you an email versus calling you or coming by for office hours? Do you have any preference? I know you will want them to send you an email, but is there something that would be best done in person? Oh, anything more technical than, anything that's gonna take more than a two, three, four minute discussion. Come see us, call us on the phone. If there's technical questions, make your way to your professor's office. A friend of mine still swears up and down that the only reason he passed half of his classes in college is because he took advantage of office hours to get essays read, to go over test questions. He just, every semester, first thing he did was go and introduce himself, and just present himself as interested and involved. He graduated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we can both attest to the fact that office hours are vastly underutilized by students. Most of the time, I spend my office hours talking to you or to Agley or someone else because students don't really come by. And it's not just because they can't find our office. That's part of it. The other part is, kind of like me, I don't want to talk to the teacher. Absolutely. Or they just don't want to bother. Well, it's I'm not disparaging our students by any stretch of the imagination. They are busy. They have so much going on that I understand a quick email or a quick phone call is going to be significantly less intrusive for them and for us. And while I appreciate it, that little bit of time is would help immeasurably for everybody in the class. Because I think both of us are more than willing to meet with students. We want to meet with students during office hours. This is not being taken advantage of. And kind of like you were saying before, if you have a quick question about something, yeah, email. We'll get back to you right away. Hey, uh, we're meeting somewhere else for class next week, right? Where did you say we're meeting? Something like that. But, hey, here's my assignment. Can you give me some feedback before I turn it in next month? Well, no, you need to, you need to talk to me in during my office hours. Yeah, any, and that's one of those things. You, I, sorry, stuttering. Um, I always tell my students one of the best things you can do is come sit down with me run ideas for your draft that that's face-to-face -face time that is my time being dedicated solely to you if you email me a draft and i'm sitting at home and i've got a crying baby and two barking dogs and dinner's burning you're not getting my full attention you're getting what i can give you while i'm trying to shut everything else mm -hmm. out for five minutes and it's just it stinks but unfortunately i am human and have that human What's that word I'm looking for? Attention span. Uh, <laughs> and vocabulary retention today, apparently. Now, for some reason, I'm thinking of a, an experience I had at my last job where we were, I was part of a supervisory team. So when, if someone wasn't going to be in that day, they would call and let us know. And we didn't really ask a lot of questions. Say, you're, you're not here? Okay, that's good, whatever. But there was one time where an employee, they didn't call. What they decided to do instead was go to the Instagram account of another supervisor and comment on one of their photos, hey, I'm not going to be there the day, not feeling too well. <laughs> any, um, any thoughts on that, Carl? <laughs> the, I just am fascinated by the use of Instagram as the means of communication on that one. Yeah. I mean, you and I qualify as olds now, but... <laughs> uh, we do. We do. But, I, but then again, I'm always, I always find it hilarious after class, hilarious might not be the right word, but after class when I check my email, it's, hey, there's a wreck on such and such road, I'm going to be late. Yeah, 
I don't know what to do with those emails. Never do. I never respond to them because I'm like, okay. Because that's all I would write back. Right. Okay. Like, I either saw you or I didn't. I yeah. hope you're alive. Ooh. Do you have a student that might be dead? I hope not. Do they haven't been showing up? Showing up? No, everybody's showing up. I'm good. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, as I, as I have another question for you. So we talk a lot about students communicating with us outside of class, right? But, I mean, there's going to be times where we need to communicate with them outside of class. How, is the, how do you approach that? What's the method that you prefer to use? I typically use the school-issued email just because it's server I trust. I know when it's down. I know when it's acting up. I know when it's slow. Mm -hmm. um, and using that, typically my students have to log into their account just to make sure everything's good. All their parking tickets are paid. They don't have any outstanding balances due. They do that to access typically their instructional packets and all their information. Um, I've also been using D2L just for announcements, but for so D2L, individual. For people who might not be familiar with it is, is what? An online portal? I think you got a little high pitched there. Yeah, I, I don't. It's, I'm terrible. I'm an old. Uh, it's, I describe it as an online learning platform. So there's, there's Blackboard, that is much WebCT, better than what I just did. Um, through the graduate school that I'm with, they use Loud Cloud. There's a lot of different options out there. It's basically, this is all the course content on an online form to access outside of class. Did you bait me just so you could say that, Paul? No, but you did set it up pretty nice. <laughs> I do appreciate that. So I, I like using D2L. It's the easiest way. Mm -hmm. I can just write one message and boom, it's set. For the but class, but for individuals. For the class, it works, but then they have to the log into D2L and check it, which this they're not going to do. So email tends to be the best way, but I don't know if you've had this experience that our system actually isn't set up very well to email the whole entire class because I can email them to their school email mm -hmm. by, with a few extra steps outside the normal, maybe just send an email to you or another teacher. But if I want to go to the personal email, we have technically we have access to them, but we have to go through a lot of extra steps to get it. And if you're talking about 150 to 200 students a semester, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that. That's very true. I typically, I let my students know I will be, anytime I need to contact them, it will be via the school that it's in my instructional packet it so you outline it make sure one. you have access to your school email address and make sure you check it routinely the carrot on the stick for them i tell my students if something comes up if something happens if i have to cancel class the first thing i'm going to do is email the class okay to give them just a heads up hey don't rush everything's okay call the call the head office and make sure they know what's going on immediately thereafter students give them that advanced knowledge to make their plans or change their plans for the day. And that works. It really does. They t I typically get a lot more responses, a lot more people logging in and checking their email. And I haven't canceled class yet. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Have, have, you had the, have you had the experience, though, where a student emails you, you respond back to them, but after class the next day they come up to, hey, did you get my email? Always. And it's like, yeah, did you get my email back? So, I mean, they have this expectation that they should get a response, but when they actually do get the response, it's like they didn't see it. Well, it's, I will do confirmation from time to time, even though, it, and it might just be I haven't had a chance to check my email. And it is with the school email, there's some hoops to jump through. So every now and then, if it's been eight hours or so overnight, I'm not going to sweat it. It's yeah. just kind of, yeah, check your email, I responded to it. Or, yeah, come, let's talk. Go to my office hours. And I know there's a lot of options out there, too, that we can't all, we can't cover them all. Because, like, some teachers, they'll create uh, specific Twitter accounts for their classes so that a lot of updates are posted there. 
Um, I think there's an app slash web service called Remind where you can actually set it up to text your students. You don't have their number, they don't have your number, it all gets filtered through the system, but you can text them so reminders about assignments and all that kind of stuff. Huh. So I know there's a lot of options out there. We just might not take advantage of all of them. That Remind actually sounds interesting. Um, I know one of the business professors here uses it. That's how I heard about it. And I want to hmm. say someone else started trying it, but I can't remember who that was. Might try that in spring semester. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I meant to try it over the spring. Uh, that didn't happen. I meant to try it in the summer. That didn't happen. It still hasn't happened. So maybe next spring. Do you have the app on your phone? No. That's the first <laughs> step. I haven't got that for you. Well, I think that's... Um, that's a lot to cover. Yeah. I mean, this is a topic I think has a lot that we could still talk about, but we want to get to our recommended readings for the week. Uh, so this is where we each share something that we've come across in life or um, somewhere, somehow, and it caught our attention. Now we want to share it with you and encourage everyone to check them out. So, Carl, do you want to go first? Absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, mine is a podcast. And so my challenge is to not always recommend podcasts. But this time, <laughs> I'm going to do it. I am a podcast junkie. And I think this one's, it's, I really, I'm really digging it. One, because I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. And two, I really like what they're doing as far as how they're approaching it. So the name of the podcast is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. What they do is each week they go through one chapter, starting with the first book. And they discuss it from a particular theme. And then they have some type of religious practice associated with it. But religion isn't necessarily involved, it's one of the practices. So one, for example, the first few episodes, they did something called Lecturo Divina. So they approached it as some people read the scriptures, they find a random passage and they read through it four times, trying to understand it. One, on its literal meaning. Two, what are some of the parallels or representations there. Three, what's an action that you can take. And four, um, I'm blanking on the fourth one, but there's a fourth one there. <laughs> and so they would do this with Harry Potter. So they're approaching it from that point of view. And so again, while there's no religion or spirituality involved in it, they're using some of these practices. And it has, makes you... I've seen things from a different perspective than I've thought of before, so I, I'm really loving it. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I actually, embarrassingly enough, read Finnegan's Wake in a similar way. where it, For those of you unfamiliar, Finnegan's Wake is terrifying and I I don't know why I did it to myself uh, but the way I treated it was similar to Bible study where in, I didn't treat it like the scripture but you kind of flip it open and you start because with Finnegan's Wake it is a circular narrative it begins in the middle of the last sentences final sentence um, sorry misspoke the first sentence is the second half of the last sentence yeah, I didn't hear you the first time, so you're still <laughs> over my head. Um, so that was how I treated the text. I just kind of read it in a circular motion, going from wherever I fell. And it's still baffling, still mind-boggling, still insane. But uh, uh, my recommended reading, not a podcast, and I struggled with this. I am sleep-deprived and really exhausted and have nothing fancy going on. But catching up on new television shows uh for me uh i've watched a whopping two watched the exorcist which was interesting and watched the good place with Kristen bell and ted danson which i was shockingly which i found shockingly enjoyable um paul and i are both huge veronica mars fans so 
it was kind of nice to see her back on television, and it seemed like an interesting premise. That I think we were concerned though, because we saw like the previews for it, and it's like, oh, Veronica, what are you doing? It's kind of cutesy. Seemed like a very terminal premise. Like there was maybe two, three episodes that you could get with it. Yeah, like how do you make a whole show out of this? <laughs> like I'm still, th I watched it as well. I loved it more than I thought it would, but I'm still thinking, okay, season one, sure. What about season two? I don't know where it's going to go. Well, that's kind of my... Uh, there's been some really good shows that have run that gamut. Um, this one, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to stick with it for a little while. But we'll see as my TV queue fills up how that one falls. We're at peak TV right now. It's getting ready to get and terrible. So, yeah. You have to call the herd and only focus on what is <laughs> truly worth your time. And still catch up on all those shows you never watch that are on Netflix now. Oh, that's such a time suck. Uh, but folks, that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you so very, very, very much for listening in. Uh, as always, we appreciate any feedback or questions you may have. Tell us how annoying our voices are. Tell us I need to clear my throat. Blame my child. Please reach out to us, out to us at fail at college. That is one word. At gmail.com. We still hope that the Facebook page will be up soon, but our Twitter is good to go at at, at fail at college. If you like the show, please rate us in iTunes and subscribe to the show. This is what helps other people find out about us. Uh, we will probably be... Are we on Stitcher? Yep, Stitcher, FM, uh, Google Play, supposedly, and with through iTunes. So any major podcast client, you should be able to find us. So pretty, pretty, pretty please, if you like what you hear, throw us up a review. Um, until we get fancy and make it, we produce and edit the show ourselves. And that's, as always, please excuse my levels. Paul's been shouting at me all morning. Our theme music is by Broke for Free, and the outro music is courtesy of Chris Dack. Thank you so very much for listening, everybody. Take care.